run cleaner than any baseball message that was ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Welcome aboard, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, ready for hour two, of course, of the radio program. Hopefully you guys enjoy the spot uh, with Norman Berman and, of course, Hiram Boca Chica within the first hour. I got a little bit of a treat for the second hour. A couple guys that, you know, they may not even be considered prospects, but I'll tell you, when you talk about the value of a catcher, you know, to learn how to play it at a young age, and obviously as you go through high school into college and even some type of semi-pro baseball, you want to have the ability to know how to receive the ball, play defense, and maybe hit a little bit. But obviously hitting isn't that important. When you look at, you know, when it comes down to major league players, there's always a value, and even on the minor league level, for guys that can play the position of catcher because it really is, uh, you know, a very demanding position. It obviously takes a lot out of you physically. So the ability to stay with it over the course of time is something that does allow you to get a chance when, you know, maybe just sticking it out being, let's say, a second baseman like Norman Berman was, if you listen to his interview in the first hour, or, you know, a corner infielder or an outfielder, you really have to have that complete package, that ability to hit, the ability to still be dominant at a certain level of the game. But, you know, if you're a catcher, if you know how to catch, if you know how to call a game, if you know how to receive, odds are you could probably stay playing professionally well into your 20s and maybe into your 30s, even if you're not affiliated with a major league team. And the next two interviews, I'm actually got them set up back-to-back to play, are a couple of young catchers that are both in their 20s. They both you know, are taking shots you know, after coming out of college and you know, not getting drafted by a major league team to try to eventually catch on to either a major league spring training or minor league spring training and just kind of get themselves back associated uh, you know, with professional baseball. And, you know, the first guy's name is Landis Wilson. And Landis went to the University of Arkansas, wasn't drafted, and ended up playing a couple of years of independent ball at a young age and actually did not play at all last year, could not get himself associated with any team. But he's still working out and is still looking to catch on with a professional team, you know, maybe overseas, maybe in Latin America, or maybe in, in, in the major leagues on a minor league type of deal. And the other guy's name is Dan Curry, and Dan Curry ended up uh, being, uh, he wasn't drafted, but he signed as an amateur free agent with the Atlanta Braves, played a year of uh, Gulf Coast ball, you know, the Gulf Coast Braves um, in short season ball, and ended up getting released. He's played a couple years of independent ball, but what they both have in common is they have the ability to catch. They've worked on their game to a point, and I wouldn't be surprised to see either one or both of them get a shot you know on a minor league type of deal associating themselves with an organization and at least getting a chance to play minor league baseball again and of course if they stick it out and are able to rise to the top eventually they're going to get notice and maybe be in spring training on a major league side with a team and if you know they step it up a little bit more maybe they can be a major league player and I, I really don't think the dream dies when you're a catcher in your 20s if you're that determined and both of these guys show a great story of determination and strength and you know they're going to continue to do it you know, even, you know, Landis Wilson didn't play professionally at all last year. And, you know, him working out, staying in shape, working on his game is going to get him in that spot. And the same thing with Dan Corey. So first interview you're going to hear is with Landis Wilson, who uh, came out of the University of Arkansas, played a couple years of independent ball before sitting out last year. And Dan Corey, who ended up playing a year in the minor leagues with the Braves about two, three years ago and has spent the last two years in independent ball. So hopefully you guys enjoy this, these interviews and just kind of get out of it what it is, you know, a story of strength and determination, really where it is at the beginning and what it could end up being a couple of years down the road. Good afternoon, it's John Pielli. I'm here with uh, a catcher by the name of Landis Wilson. Landis, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? 
Oh, pretty good, man. Pretty good. Now, you know, of course, you know, you, uh, you know, you've been a catcher. You know, you you went through the University of Arkansas. You know, tell us a little bit about you know going through college and then end up you know uh, making your you know your pro debut. Yeah, um, well, uh, high school I went to a place called Coastal Carolina. They were uh, you know a very good, very good school, very good program, and I uh, was a third catcher as a freshman there. And uh, um, yeah, it's the same injury, so I transferred to a junior college, and I was junior college. I went to Arkansas, and Arkansas is about. Uh, stands out and probably gives you, you know, a ray of hope is the fact that you're a catcher. I mean, the fact that, you know, there's all these teams that are looking for catchers and, you know, kind of, you know, to, you know, to establish yourself as a guy that, you know, that can catch, that can receive, that can do all the things that catchers can do, kind of, kind of stands out, you know, you know, maybe allows you to stand out a little more than other guys that are just position players, right? Right, exactly. Now, yeah, you know, now you know, two, you know, 2012 comes. You know, like you mentioned, you played with, uh, you know, with, uh, with uh, Rockland in the Can Am leagues. What goes through your mind at that point? Do you ever, do you ever think that there's a point where, you know, it, it might, it might get tough to continue to go on? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I kind of always want to speak your head, but you know, being two years in it, you know, it kind of conditions you to be useful because guys get, you know, released. You see guys, you know, that were in the major leagues two years ago, three years ago. You know, coming through an indie ball, and you're like, you know, you, you really see what type of the real world baseball is, you know. And also, like, you also see guys like getting picked up and like going straight to the big league. So you, you see that happen, and so that gives you a little bit of hope. And I mean, it's just, it's what I've done my whole life, and I just, I just figured, you know, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy, you know. So. Yeah, what's again? <laughs> Uh, once again, John Pielli here with a good catcher, Landis Wilson. Now, you know, as you're getting prepared for this off season, you know, you didn't you, know, you didn't play professionally in 2013. Um, you know, what 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 are you looking to do to get yourself, you know, in the best shape for the right opportunity? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I hit every day. Um, I, I work out with a, a team, a local team here. I do my catcher stuff. And, you know, uh, you know, if you're asking me to play whatever last year, you know. 
I almost, I was on sport teams, but it kind of just felt, you know, that happens in pro ball. That's kind of, you know, work extra hard, and, you know, I'm lucky to have this opportunity that's coming up. And, uh, I mean, it happens all the time uh, with injuries and whatnot, guys sit out. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's got to stick with it, man. That's, that's kind of the thing. And now, as you know, as you're moving forward in the in the off season, and you know, you talk about you know, like the stuff you're doing to get prepared. Um, are, are you are, are you trying to get yourself in in any type of showcase? You know, in like a like a thing where somebody could see you play, or are you are you just leaving it up to other teams that are just you know looking into you? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, that team they, they want to see me contract. You know, in, in September, but they got to get approved. I mean, it's kind of a a long-term thing, so I, mean, I could have, uh, you know, I could, I could have signed this year, and, uh, and it's just kind of like, I'm just getting ready for a starting catcher role, I just know what I need to do, I mean, I was a starting catcher through all of college, um, I mean, I've basically split time last year at Rockland, um, and so I just, I don't know, man, just trying to stay healthy, and the showcase and stuff, yeah, I mean, where I live at, there's always scouts everywhere, so, you know, I'm always talking, you know, affiliated, the Cardinals always talk to me, Diamondbacks, Brewers, they always talk to me, they just want me to keep playing because, you know, it's, uh, it, one injury can, you know, take someone away from the game, so it's just, it's just sticking with it, man, it's, uh, you know, it's, when my coaches are rocking, you know, they don't want me to quit, they play in the big leagues for two, three, and they play in the big leagues for 20 years, and they're just like, just keep playing, uh, in, in the baseball world, I'm still young because, you know, it's, you, you know, you hear about the guys who go over at 21, 22, but that's a very, very select few. Most of them, you know, getting there when they're 28, 29. You know, most guys play in the minor leagues for five or six years. I mean, I played for two years in the minor leagues. I was free of possibly, so I'm still young in it, you know what I mean? No, absolutely. And I'll tell you one thing you said before, uh, you know, off air that kind of stands out is, you know, you look at catchers. I mean, there's, you know, catchers that play into their late 30s and their early 40s just because they, they can do it. And, you know, you know the, the playing a catching position is something that, you know, stands out because it's separated from the rest of the field. You've got to be able to do so many different things to be a catcher at any level. And there's always that demand for it. And, you know, once, you know, as long as you can keep yourself in the right shape and, you know, continue at it, you know, you, you should be able to land a job. Yeah, now, now as you know, as you go as you go forward and you get ready in, in, into into this next season, um, you know, is there anything in regards to your game, whether it's you know defensively or you know hitting or situational hitting or stuff like that, that you're focusing on to try to improve? Yeah, um, well, obviously with catching, you know, they say speed doesn't matter, but you know, obviously I want to keep my speed the best I can. Um, I always do that. Um, I work out, you know, every morning. You know, every day, and uh, so, and also just hitting. I, I mean, I, I can. I'm always going to swing it pretty good, and just just make sure that uh, I'm 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 hitting line drives. I mean, I can usually hit the ball pretty far, but line drives. I make sure you know guys I'm, I'm catching or or either pro or you know top college guys. Um, you know, I, I had a coach once tell me, you know, when you're working on something, you can't forget about everything else. And so I try to keep everything getting better, but at certain points I need to work on is probably probably uh, contact better because uh, I'm more of a power guy, and 
to, you know, strike it out and stuff. But, you know, I'm not really worried about it. I always want to improve. I don't want to strike out. You know, I'd rather get a, a double instead. But it's all about on contact and, you know, stuff like that. So. Now, you mentioned, you know, you got a chance to, you know, through coaching and through other pros that have, you know, that have done what you're doing. What, what would you consider the biggest piece of advice you, you've been given from either either another catcher or another coach in regards to what you're going through right now? Oh, um, this kind of funny. Um, so last year, when Jose Canseco would always be around the field, right? <laughs> this guy would always be around the field. And uh, he, was, uh, he was always a really nice guy. And so... He just told me one day, he was like, man, just swing hard, you might hit it. That's like the best advice I've heard because it makes you not think about anything. And, and you know, when you get to play ball, it's like, it's, it's, you, know, you can't call them coaches, but, you know, you know, Dave and Damien, you know, well, you know they're, they're, uh, they 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 got a job to do too. And so you kind of got to figure out a lot of stuff on your own. And uh, so when you get to this level, it's more of a um, you know, it's more of a job, so kind of every night for oneself to a degree. And, uh, but that's one of the best parts out there. It's just simple. I mean, more simply you make the game better because, you know, you got to think too much, 100 something games, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Or if I get released, you can't, you can't do that. You got to, you know, just simply have fun. Yeah, no question. Once again, John Pielli here with Landis Wilson. Now, you know, last question. You know, when you're, when, when you're picturing yourself, when you look in the mirror, when you, try to figure out, you know, in your own mind what kind of catcher you are. What what pro or what other catcher would you consider yourself, let's say, the closest to be number one? And number two, which one are you looking to try to be? Okay, that's a good question. Um, uh, um, I'm really involved with that. Um, I guess I'm closer to being like a uh, Honestly, like, uh, like a Przezinski type, like a guy that can just, he, he, he can catch forever. Like, I don't know if I, I mean, he's like almost 40. And he's one, you know, he's, he catches almost every game. That's probably how I'm right now. How I'd want to be, obviously, is a Joe Howard type player who can, you know, hit and everything. He gets hurt a lot, but, I mean, I know he's a first base this year, too, but, you know, that type of a catcher that, that can really hit, because I believe... Defense is important, but if you can have the hitting like, you know, Yadier Molina or something like that, that that's probably the guy, Yadier Molina, you know. And uh, that'll probably be the guy with Stroud that he liked because he obviously struggled at the beginning, you know, but his defense would pull him around and he eventually figured out hitting. So now he's kind of the whole package. Yeah, no question about it. Listen, Landis, I want to thank you for having some time. Appreciate you giving me a couple minutes. And obviously, you know, best of luck to you going forward. And, you know, hope to see you up the big time. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And like I said, we're going to jump right over to an interview that I recorded with a catcher that was one time in the Braves organization a couple years ago, and his name is Dan Corey. All right, once again, John Pielli here with a catcher that's you know currently playing independent ball, was with the Atlanta Braves organization a couple years, and that's Dan Corey. Dan, what's going on, man? Oh, pretty good, man. Pretty good. And you know, of course, you know, you had a you had a chance to come up and you know play in the Braves system a little bit in 2009. Of course, you're a catcher. Um, tell us a little bit about you know coming up through you know end up getting into uh, professional baseball and how it started out for you. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I thought I might have been trying to high school. I uh, I 
2009 comes, you get a chance to play a little bit for the, the Gulf Coast Braves and, uh, you know, the, the Rookie League. You know, tell us a little bit about that season, what it, you know, what it felt like to be playing, you know, pro ball for the first time. Well, uh, now that I've played pro, pro ball for two years uh, after that, uh, I realized that the Gulf Coast League was a, was a totally different professional league. after that, you know, you end up playing, you know, independent ball for the first time in 2010 with the Broxton Rocks, and then you, you play also with the Oakland County County Cruisers of the Frontier League. Tell us a little bit about the change from that, the change from playing, you know, rookie ball, you know, in the Braves system to playing independent ball for the first time. Well, uh, yeah, so I've been released from the Braves, and, uh, I got, I got a call from uh, a guy named Barry Moss, who ended up signing me, helping me get through uh, Chris Carbonucci. Those two guys got me on the team in, uh, in Brockton, which is actually close to my hometown. And uh, that, 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 was, that was my real first taste of uh, professional ball. You know, game at 7 o'clock. You know, you're in the locker room. It's, it's more of a relaxed atmosphere. You can play baseball. You can go from there. Uh, there. There was a guy who was much older than me who was catching every day, so I, I kind of You know, you look at, you know, the, the leagues like that, and I'm sure that they're, uh, you know, they're, you know, not only the competition against the opposition, but I'm sure there's the competition within, you know, yourself and each other to try to stand out, right? Oh, 
battered in your mind and go ahead and perform this, you know, to the best of your abilities and, and, and stay calm and, you know, steady to what you're doing. Um, that, that, these things take care of themselves, you know. Yeah, no so that once again, John Pialli here with catcher Dan Corey. Now, you know, in you know, 2011 into 2012, and then again into 2013, it looks like you've, you've kind of taken some progressive steps to uh, establishing yourself playing, uh, you know, playing professional baseball. Tell, tell us a little bit about the changes that you got to make year to year, because a lot of these teams that you end up playing for, you end up bouncing to different teams, different leagues, and stuff like that. How are you able to stay, you know, let's say a, a stable mindset and, you know, with your your eyes set on the, on the test hand? Uh, you just got to keep your eye on the goal of what you want to do. Um, I want to play Major League Baseball, so I, I use that as my motivation in, in accordance to what, how I act and, and what I do. So if there's an opportunity and I feel an opportunity, I have to, at that time, that was, that was the thing to do. I had to take it and... Uh, Baseball League. What did you feel was the, the biggest difference about that league? Was that kind of similar to to uh, Can Am and the Frontier League?
No, I tell you, that, that says a lot, man. You know, you want something, you really got to go out there and get it. And, you know, listen, Dan, I'm, you know, I'm confident that, you know, we're going to hear your name soon, dude, and hopefully uh, you continue the good work, and best of luck to you. Hopefully we, uh, we see you in the big league soon. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot. And I tell you, one thing that kind of, you know, I'm always interested in doing is not just getting the guy that you as the Major League Baseball fan know about or obsessed with about and, you know, know by name. But, you know, to me, it really does mean a lot in regards to trying to uh, watch players as they come up because, you know, all the time you see a lot of, particularly catchers, that, you know, are able to stick out and end up playing into their 40s. But, you know, not all of them are established, you know, major leaguers. And some of them take a long time. You know, you look at a Chris Coast with the Philadelphia Phillies and all the years that he had to go around, you know, playing in the minor leagues to finally get his opportunity. So, yeah, I wish these guys the best of luck. And hopefully you'll hear the name of Landis Wilson and Dan Corey pretty soon. But once again, John Pialy, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. What we're going to do is we're going to take a break. We'll be back. Uh, Bases Empty blog. i got stuff to cover in regards to the articles that I wrote that can be found at johnpialy.com as well as mtrmedia.com slash johnpialy. And, uh, you know, once again, we'll be back with a little bit more stuff going on after this. This is Lady E, one of the many broadcasters at MTR Radio. If you're listening to mtrradio.com, fantastic. Que bueno. But if you want to take us with you, we have an app for your smartphone that lets you listen to us 24-7. Just go to Google Play on your Android device or the iPhone App Store and download our app, MTR Radio. Hey guys and gals, want to have a great time dining out while watching your favorite sport on HGTV? Then come on down to Hooters of Princeton, New Jersey, located on Route 1 South in Trenton in the Mercer Mall. Hi, I'm Deja. And I'm Corey. These are great deals all week, bound to whet your appetite and satisfy your hunger. Check out our Bunday Mondays, where you can have a delicious cheeseburger and fries for only $6.99. On Tuesdays, we have all-you-can-eat wings all day, just $12.99 per person or $10.99 for boneless. On Wednesdays, you can get 10 boneless wings and an order of fries for just $6.99. On Saturday, kids eat free for every meal ordered by an accompanying adult, and the meals are served on Frisbee. We have half-priced appetizers from 10 p.m. until close every day. You can then enjoy your cold draft beer with our mouth-watering crab clusters for only $5. Remember, we are located in Trenton on Route 1 South in the Mercer Mall, just south of Quaker Bridge Road. For any information, call us at 609-520-WING. That's 609-520-9464. Hope to see you there! Taste is empty blog. Go ahead, laugh. Laugh all you want. But the fact of the matter is, this is this is the setting for the greatest story ever told. Okay? Taste is empty blog. 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 Oh, yeah, welcome back to John Pielli, Passball Show, NTR Radio Network. Of course, a reminder, keep this discussion interactive. Tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. And if you don't, follow me on Twitter. You know, I'm always uh, participating in baseball discussions every day. I talk, you know, not just Mets, obviously. If you listen to me, you know I'm a Mets fan. But I talk a lot of Yankees, a lot of Phillies 
a lot of stuff going on in Major League Baseball, particularly issues and stuff like that. So, you know, if you're a baseball fan, follow me at John underscore Pielli. Like I said, I reply to all tweets, uh, particularly during the duration of my program, because obviously we, you know, we keep the discussion going on after the show, during the show, even though it's not live. But obviously with Bases Empty Blog, the whole thing, a couple things I got into within the last week is I kind of examined uh, a little bit, not just necessarily the trade itself, but... You know, the move that brought Prince Fielder over to the Texas Rangers for Ian Kinsler plus cash is going to make some uh, changes, perhaps, within the way a lot of these uh, bigger contracts are handled. Prince Fielder is a guy who, let's be honest, I mean, you could say that every guy is overpaid in regards to Major League Baseball. Every time a big free agent player, you know, hits that market, he's going to get probably paid more money than somebody would imagine. But Prince Fielder hasn't necessarily proved this to be a bad contract. Yes, he had a terrible postseason last year for the Detroit Tigers. It wasn't good, I understand that. But, you know, you're looking at a guy that's still obviously in the prime of his career. I wouldn't consider him a bust by any stretch of the imagination. And the Tigers, for financial reasons, I think they wanted to reallocate the money a couple other places, perhaps re-sign Max Scherzer and maybe have themselves a little more capital to get, you know, Joe Nathan like they did and maybe make another move or two to fill out the uh, 2014 roster. So they end up trading him to the... Texas Rangers. And what was interesting about this is because you got to figure out two things are going on here. Either, uh, you know, a, a team is going to go out there and trade for Prince Fielder. Obviously, the team that has him, the Detroit Tigers in this situation, would probably want the equal or somewhere around the same type of value back. Either veteran players that you, know, you can move around, have it in a couple different positions, or maybe a veteran player and a young player or a series of young players that you can end up moving on and saying, all right, well, for one need, we ended up filling multiple needs. Obviously, the common sense thing here is that Prince Fielder is not the same player as Ian Kinsler. Prince Fielder, honestly, where he ranks in Major League Baseball among first basemen, is way above that of where Ian Kinsler, who is a good second baseman, but, you know, he ranks towards a certain spot where he's not necessarily Robinson Cano, he's not Dustin Pedroia, he's obviously not in the same league as a Prince Fielder if you wanted to compare him player to player basis. But what ended up happening is the Tigers wanted to free up the money, so they traded just about the entire contract, less $30 million, to the Rangers who wanted Prince Fielder and ended up taking something less back. So the Tigers get the payroll flexibility plus a good player for a great player. And what I was writing about is how this is going to end up uh, changing some of the things going on in Major League Baseball. And you've always thought about it, hey, what are teams going to do with these big contracts? What are teams going to do with the players that may not be the superstar type of players that they were when they signed a contract, but still could be pretty good? Or maybe still have some upside. Maybe, you know, they're not giving up on them yet. It's not a Jason Bay situation where the guy simply can't play. And, you know, the Mets in that case had to just cut bait with him. But, you know, you look at players as they come forward. Ryan Braun is a perfect example. What is Ryan Braun going to be in 2014 when he's off the juice, when he's done serving his last suspension, which he did at the end of last season? Is he going to be the player that uh, won the MVP, you know, a couple of years ago? We don't know that. And if he's not, obviously the Brewers are on hook for a big portion of the contract. So depending on what kind of player, obviously, Ryan Braun is, is going to depend what type of sense of urgency the Milwaukee Brewers have in trading him. But, you know, other guys you want to show as an example, remember that Red Sox trade, which you can say was very similar. Maybe the first, maybe the foundation, the grunt, you know, the building blocks of a type of trade that ended up sending Prince Fielder to the Rangers for Ian Kinsler was obviously the, the Red Sox freeing up a ton of payroll, sending Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, Josh Beckett, and Nick Punto to the Los Angeles Dodgers for a couple of young players, but the money was off the books. Obviously, it allowed the Boston Red Sox to go out there and spend money in a different way, bringing in different type of players, and they won the World Series. 
in 2013. But moving forward, what other type of players could be in that situation? Another guy obviously getting a little attention this year, though the Dodgers have said publicly that they're not looking to trade, is Matt Kemp. Dave Stewart, who was Matt Kemp's agent, was told by the Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't know if it was by Ned Coletti or Magic Johnson or Stan Kasten or somebody within the front office that the Dodgers are not looking to trade him. But just because they're not now doesn't mean that they're not going to change their mind if they get an offer that they're interested in uh, taking. Obviously, the Dodgers are going to be right now, at this very moment, when Matt Kemp coming off of two injury play seasons should be on the hook for a decent amount of this contract. And maybe not the whole thing, maybe a certain amount, but whatever team that's coming in is going to be able to do one of two things. They're going to take Matt Kemp and pay him, and then probably not give up a lot to get him to take on the contract, or they're going to take Matt Kemp and have the Dodgers take a certain amount of money off the contract, and then give a really nice package, which could be plot prospects or impact players, they're going to help on the major league level. So that's that's something that has to be looked at. And obviously, uh, you know, other guys that are on the list, Andre Ethier, and of course, you know, you think maybe down the road, a guy like Albert Pujols, perhaps, if the Angels are looking to maybe move him and the team's looking to take him on. And then, of course, a couple guys that signed this year, Jacoby Ellsbury, Robinson Cano, signing seven and ten-year contracts, respectively. Um, you know, the Prince Fielder deal may be a basis of what type of deals are made like that, because instead of getting equal talent to simply take money and maybe a chance on somebody, we'll give that other team some payroll flexibility. But, you know, moving on, you know, we've, we've gotten into a bunch of things going on in Major League Baseball, and obviously we give uh, big kudos to Joe Torre, Bobby Cox, and... Tony La Russa, if they're being elected to this year's Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee. Obviously, guys that I said before, if you listened to my uh, last podcast, Ted Simmons, I wanted to see in the Hall of Fame. George Steinbrenner, I thought should have been in. And Marvin Miller, I think, was the biggest omission in here. But obviously, great job by these guys all getting in. One thing I did throw in there, and actually, I'm saying this because I spent a lot of time doing research on this. I came up with 12 players that ended up playing for Joe Torre, for Bobby Cox, and for Tony La Russa. And, you know, just real quick, I'm going to go over them real quick. I'll just run through the list just so you know. Because, you know, you think about three different managers who managed for such long times. Uh, and the fact that one manager took over for another twice. Uh, Bobby Cox, after he was done managing the Braves the first time, after the 1981 season, was succeeded by Joe Torre. Joe Torre, when he was done managing the Cardinals after he was let go in the 1995 season, was succeeded by Tony La Russa. So you figure more players would have played for both, you know, two of the guys, and maybe the possibility there would have been more than 12 players that played for all three. But here's the 12 right now that have played for both, uh, both all three managers. You got uh, Glenn Hubbard, you got Matt Sinatro, you got Claudel Washington, Jeff Parrott, uh, Brian Jordan, uh, Luis Polonia, Darren Bragg. You also got Steve Carse and Raphael Forcal round out the list. An interesting one was Mike Morgan, because Mike Morgan was actually acquired by the St. Louis Cardinals in 1995, the same day that Joe Torre was fired. And Joe Torre was let go before the first game where Mike Morgan was a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. And of course, the Cardinals at that time were managed by Mike Jorgensen, who ended up taking over the bench for the rest of the season. So he ends up not fitting in with that. But, you know, a couple with the common managers, and I told you because of uh, Torrey taking over for Cox and then uh, La Russa taking over for Torrey, obviously there was more of a common denominator between the three managers. So uh, 98 players played for both Cox and Torrey, and 82 played for both Torrey and La Russa. And when it came to Cox and La Russa, obviously where none 
neither uh, ended up taking over for each other. There was only 41 players that played for both teams. Once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Still a ton, ton of stuff to go into my, my, my blog, so if you haven't gotten a chance to look at it, feel free to check it out, johnpielli.com, mtrmedia.com, slash johnpielli. But to finish off the program, I got a very nice interview I recorded with Aaron Small, and Aaron Small, of course, is known for going 10-0 and in the 2005 season with the New York Yankees, kind of being that uh, unsung hero type of guy coming out of nowhere, the depths of uh, you know, a big battle within uh, the minor leagues and getting up to the majors. Did have a couple good years with the Oakland Athletics uh, prior to joining the Yankees, but was up and down several different teams in the minor leagues and obviously burst onto the scene with a phenomenal and almost uh, anticlimactic type of 2005 season where he finished the season 10-0 and as a reliever and a spot starter for the New York Yankees. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this spot with former Major League pitcher with the A's, Yankees, Blue Jays, some other teams, Aaron Small. And, you know, thanks for joining the program today. Uh, we're going to take this right to the end, so hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with Aaron Small. Good afternoon, this is John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Aaron Small. Aaron, what's going on, man? Hey, man, I'm doing good. I appreciate you uh, having taken the time to uh, have me on, man. Thanks. Hey, no problem at all, man. No problem. And, you know, of course, you, know, you had a chance to pitch through several teams in the major leagues. But, you know, you first came up with the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, you know, playing in the minor leagues with Toronto and then finally making your debut in 1994. Well, I know it's been a long time ago. I was a lot younger and a lot better shape when those days were going on. But I do remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, graduated high school in 
of traveling and switching different organizations and stuff like that, you end up with the Marlins. But then in 1996, you uh, you get in, you know, you make a, you play a little bit with the uh, Oakland Athletics, and then you kind of establish yourself a little bit. A very good 1997 season, and you pitch in 71 games that year. Tell us a little more about 1997, because I'm sure that year kind of stands out to you, as it was really your first full major league season. That was my first full year, but to tell you the truth, I actually started that year in AAA, in the Edmonton uh, AAA team for the A's, and we actually started the season on the road in Colorado Springs. We got snowed out of the opening night in Colorado Springs against the Rockies AAA team, and uh, eating pizza in my room, I had a phone call that I was getting called up to the big leagues and uh, meet up with the A's, so I left um, Colorado Springs, at like 5 in the morning, catching a flight. Slow delays caused me to get to the game late in Oakland. They were playing the Red Sox. I showed up to the game. Uh, it was only like four days into the season for the big league team, so I got credit for a full season. But um get to the game in about the seventh inning, and they told me I heard get, get some my shoes on, my cleats, and get my glove. All my equipment got delayed. It got stuck in uh, Colorado Springs, so I didn't have anything. So I was balling stuff, and I actually came into that game in the 10th inning, and I pitched a scoreless inning, and we scored the bottom of the 10th, and I got the win. So that, that was a crazy way to start that season. And then uh, I established myself and turned into the uh, setup man out of the bullpen. And on that staff, we had a very young pitching staff. So when I say I was a setup man, if we had the lead after the 5th inning, I was in the game from the 5th inning on. And it was just, uh, that's how you get 96 and 2 first innings as a short reliever in one season. And uh, ended up leading the team in wins, and uh, it, was a, it was a neat year. And the last time I heard, I don't know if it still is, but it was a rookie record for the Oakland A's. Uh, 71 appearances as a rookie. I don't know if that's been broke since, but when I did that, it was a record at the time. But it was a neat season, and I really definitely, uh, I thought I established myself as a big league pitcher, and uh, I enjoyed a good season. Yeah, and I ended up, you know, getting the first, you know, full season. Like you said, you ended up getting credit for the full season. You know, you stick around the next year with the with the athletics. You know, you struggle a little bit, but then you end up, uh, you know, you end up moving on again. You end up going to the, if I'm not mistaken, after that was what Arizona, right? Yeah, I put on the waiver wire at the All Star break, and I got picked up by the Diamondbacks, and. I moved into the setup role there, and I had a good second half. And then uh, the next year, it began to get really crazy as I got released about the second to last day of spring training. And then I started bouncing around like crazy, jumping from team to team, triple-A team to triple-A team, and it was, uh, it was tough. It was tough. Now, within all that travel, and obviously a lot of people in the New York area, I remember you for your time with the, with the New York Yankees, uh, 2005 comes, you know, you end up getting a chance to pitch with them, and, you know, let's be honest, from that time, 2005, prior to that, you know, you had, uh, you know, four, you know, seven games you got into with uh, Florida before that, a game with, uh, you know, Atlanta, you hadn't really pitched in a major league since 1998, so tell us a little bit about, you know, you reestablishing yourself in 2005, and, you know, what led to the success you had that year? I'll tell you what, Don, it was, uh, it was a tough road, you know, going uh, from that 98 uh, season after the Diamondbacks had a great second half into that spring where I did get released. Uh, I bounced around, and I was released uh, three more times uh, in between all that before I got to the 2005 season with the Yankees. You know, there was a short call-up with the Marlins, as you said, said, and a real small call-up with the Blazers in 2002, but nothing significant as far as big league time. And uh, to be honest with you, people have, have read my story, they've heard me share it at different places, and uh, I 
almost quit. I almost walked away from the game that very day in July of 2005, the very day that I got called back up to the big leagues to go to New York. And I honestly almost didn't go back to the game. I almost quit and stayed home after a three-day all-star break at home in East Tennessee. And, and the only thing that kept me going was, hey, I knew I was under contract, and I knew that God had a plan for my life. And then he didn't want me to give up on that, what that plan he had for me in my life. And uh, so I almost quit, walked into the locker room, and took the pitch that night in Columbus, Ohio, for the Triple A Yankees team, the Clippers. Murphy Dale was a manager, and he said, I need to see you in my office. I thought I was getting released. And he said, the big team needs you up there. You're making a start, a uh, spot start. I think Kevin Brown was the guy that was hurt. He said, you're pitching in six days in uh, Texas against the Rangers, so you're flying up tomorrow. So, it all began. <laughs> now, once again, John Fiala here, former major league pitcher Aaron Small. Now, you know, for all that time that you ended up, uh, you know, you ended up, you know, pitching in the minors and, you know, up and downs of different organizations, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you almost quit before, you know, pitching for the Yankees. Uh, was that something that had weighed on your mind for a while? Were there, were there other times, let's say, you know, around 2000, maybe a little bit later, were there other times that you were really wondering what the path, uh, you know, pitching in, you know, professional baseball was for you? Well, I will tell you, uh, in 2003, I got released out of my league camp with the Cubs. I didn't get a big league invite. At that time, I had almost three years of major league service, and, uh, I couldn't even get a big league invite, so I went to my only camp, got released by the Cubs last day of spring training. And uh, that, when I came home, and I spent about a month at home before I could get another job with another team. That was probably the only other time that I thought, maybe it's time for me to move on. But in my heart, I knew that I still had the desire to play the game, you know. And uh, But that was the only other really time that I thought maybe it's time to hang up the cleats, I guess you could say, and, and go get a normal job and be a normal husband and a normal dad and stay home. But I did get a call a few months, a few weeks into that, uh, sitting at home, and the mom was called. So I got a chance. I was in double A at the age of about 31, and kids were call, uh, guys on the team were calling me Grandpa because these kids were 18, 19 years old. And uh, Miguel Cabrera was on that team in Carolina at double A that I met a few starts for in 2003 before going on the double A with the Albuquerque team. So that was probably the other time that I had really considered maybe it's time to hang it up. But that 2005 experience was, in my heart, I knew I was going to give it up. I said, it's time to quit. I even hate to say the word quit, but I felt like it was time to go. And uh, God had other plans for my life, man, so I'm glad I hung in there. Yeah, no question. Uh, you know, you definitely did. Once again, John Piello here with Aaron Small. Now, you know, the 2005 season, you make that spot start, you know, like you mentioned before, against Texas. And... What did you did you ever get a sense of like what was really going on that year? Of course, you know you end up finishing the year ten and zero with the Yankees. You know, not too many uh, you know pitchers have had you know similar records or you know more games won without losing one. Uh, what, when was when was the first sense that you you what you had going on was pretty special that year? Well, I'll tell you this, and a lot of people don't know this, but it was probably not until about my fifth start that I finally established myself as the starter in that rotation. You know, after the start, I'd win a game. It was almost like a, a spot start situation every time. It was almost sometimes a day or two before that Mel Stolomar, the pitching coach, would come to me and say, okay, you're starting again in two days. It really wasn't a guaranteed thing that I was going to continue to pitch every five days in a rotation. So once I got to about that fourth or fifth win, then it became that that's my spot in the rotation. 
And then once I got to five and zero, oh, uh, that's when the reporters started asking the question, you know, is this going to dream? You have to pinch yourself. And I say, yeah, daily. You know, to me, this is a, I'm a big kid, you know, and I'm getting a chance to do this. And after almost quitting, I said, man, what a, what a ride. I'll take a quick example of that. When Jared Wright came off the deal that year, I think I was 4-0 at the time. And uh, they put him into the rotation. They put me in the bullpen. And uh, Joe Foley, who, by the way, just got elected into the Hall of Fame yesterday, which is pretty cool. Joe Torrey pulled me aside and he says, uh, I'm going to move you to the bullpen. Are you okay with that? I said, Mr. Torrey, I said, I'll stick around and shine shoes after this film if I need to do that to stick around here because I almost walked away from this game a few weeks ago. So don't worry about apologizing for putting me in a bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, That's and, the honest truth. No, and I tell you, at that time, you know, you know, you were probably thinking something different of what they were thinking of you because, you know, for you know, for you, you were probably looking at, hey, I'm a journeyman. I'm looking to, you know, just stick around in this game and pitch the game that you love and. You know, at that, at that point, you'd probably gotten some respect. You know, Joe Torrey's like, hey, you know, I got a guy that's undefeated on the mound, you know, going out there start after start and helping us win games. Now, now I, got, I got to approach him about taking him out of the rotation. <laughs> well, that, and then when Randy Johnson's calling me the ace of the, ace of the staff, you know, I'm like, come on, this is too surreal, you know. Um, I said, no, it's just, a, it's just a good role I got on, and I think the world for it, man. It was just a neat time, you know. But, uh, yeah, looking back on it, I, I still think, man, did that really happen? <laughs> you know? But it, it was a great, great experience. Yeah, once again, John Pielli here, former Major League pitcher Aaron Small. Now, you know, 2005, of course, the Yankees end up making a postseason there. You get a chance to pitch in the playoffs, which I'm sure had to be, you know, just as surreal for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the bullpen, and uh, I think it was game two, and Randy Johnson had started, and he got a little bit of trouble in the second inning, and the Yankee Stadium crowd starts chanting my name, you know, that just, uh, everyone chilled down your spine, you know, thinking, man, do I deserve this? Do I need to, do I deserve to have this, what's happening to me? It's, it's just a blessing, you know, and uh, having my, my wife after that game telling me that our son at the time was five, he looked over and said, Mama, why are they chanting or saying Daddy's name? You know, uh, just uh, the whole thing was just just bizarre. Looking back on it. Nah, I tell you, man. Uh, you know, you like you look at the experience. You kind of you know, you telling is kind of sending chills down my spine because you know I almost get I almost get the sensation of you know that that move that movie about the uh, the uh, Devil Rays pitcher, you know, Jim Morris, and yeah. you know he ends up you know waiting all, you know all that time, and obviously he had a you know you know he he had, he had given up the game for years before he ended up getting in, and then you know. That, that scene at the stadium where he's in the you know he's in the bullpen he finally comes out there it's kind of you know it's kind of like one of those moments. There's some more ironies for a lot of people coming out know this. Jim Morris was in my car the night he got called up to Tampa. Really? Absolutely. He was my teammate in Durham. I was down in Durham with the Durham Bulls in '99 when Jim got the call to the big leagues, and uh, he had just come out of the office. And I was giving him a ride back to his hotel, and he just, I remember him saying, I can't believe this really happened. I said, you better believe it, because this time tomorrow night, you're going to have a big league uniform on. <laughs> so that's a little bit of a side note, that a lot of people don't know that he's here in Alaska teammates, and he was with me the night he got called out, so kind of a neat, neat side note there. Yeah, no question, man. I'm glad I, glad I kind of walked into it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now, now you know you, you ended up uh, you know in high school you ended up being a teammate of uh, Jason Giambi, Jeremy Giambi, and of course the late Corey Lytle. Um, you, you know, must have been it must have been a pretty good team, huh? Yeah, it was a great team. Uh, you know, I, I 
You know, people still today, when they ask me about uh, my high school days, you know, I tell them who was on the team and can't forget Sean Luke. He got a ring from oh, the yeah. Angels back then, too, you know. And I said, yeah, we were stacked, you know, but in our junior year, we won our league, the Valley Vista League champs. We went up to the Anaheim Stadium at the CIF Finals in Southern California against the, the team in our same division that came in as a loser's bracket, and they beat us. So, we have the flag waving in the outfield in our Southfield High School that we were the Valley Vista League champions, but they got the hardware. They got the ring, man. They beat us. <laughs> <laughs> and in our senior year, we got put out in the state uh, semifinals, so uh, we didn't get back to the finals. But we had a pretty, pretty amazing team for a group of high school guys, and I think five of them went on to play in the big league, so it's pretty, pretty rare. Now, did you, you know, when you got back to uh, Oakland and you met up with, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, Jason Giang, I don't think he was there anymore. If he was, he wasn't. But I, I know you definitely met up with him with the Yankees. Did you guys, uh, did you guys ever, ever uh, talk about the high school days? Well, it was weird. He was, I did the, the two and a half years I spent in Oakland, Jason was on that team. We were teammates. And, uh, you know, the music now, remember, made the story of it. They never even thought it was that big of a deal. And then we get to New York as teammates in 05. season. I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing how long he's been around in the last couple of years. He's kind of taken a different type of role, but, you know, it'd be nice to see him in uniform for one more year. Yeah, I think he's pushing, uh, he'll be 43 in January, I believe, if I got my numbers right. <laughs> and, uh, last time I saw him was a couple of years ago. I was up to the old-timers weekend with the Yankees, and the uh, Yankees were playing the Rockies, and Jason was on that roster, and I got to talk to him down on the field, and I said, man, Jason, I said, you get old, man, what are you going to hang this thing out? <laughs> but, you know, if you want the game, man, you stay in it until they whip the air, fall off your back, man, if you got that passion and that desire, you know, just continue to play as long as you can. Yeah, no question, man. I tell you, you know, your story, you know, is, is pretty much the same thing, man. You know, you you had that passion, you were able to stick it out, and you know, all the different years you played, you know, from minor league baseball ends up rewarding you towards the end with that season with the Yankees. So, Aaron, I want to thank you for having some time today. I appreciate you giving me a couple minutes, and best of luck to you in the future. Rock over London, rock on Chicago, American Airlines. We mean business in Chicago. 